Good evening. <laughs> this is Alfred Hitchcock. It sounds more like the news, actually, Swan. <laughs> no, it's not. It's Peter, Peter Swan here, uh, standing in for Arts About. I have to read something here, which is very important. Arts About is brought to you by the generosity of the McClelland Sculpture Park and Gallery, and you're here in the RPP studios with us, artist-in-residence and cultural sounding board John Baird, and the thermodynamic Mark Stewart and me, Swanee. Good morning, chaps. Good morning, Sonny. Morning, Mark. Lovely to see you here. Morning, John. You're awake? I saw you yawning a moment ago. I was a bit, yes, but I'm awake. I'm here. He's got his no. shoes off, Swan. You might be interested to know. Yes, well, it is summer, hmm. and that is allowed. Now, chaps, as you know, Sally is halfway to Tasmania. Yeah. In well, we tried to, we tried to organise a phone connection with Sally on the RPP launch. Hmm. But her, uh, they couldn't get the helium aerial to float properly, so we're not going to be able to speak to her. So I've got to ask you, what do we have in store? Mark. Oh, sorry. Um, yes, I beg your pardon. No, but you're mixing it up, Swanee, because oh. normally it's John who starts with what he's on about. But I'll, I'll, I'll go with Mark, it. there's a new sheriff in town. <laughs> <laughs> Right, so I'm going to talk to you about Robert Boyle, who I'm sure you both know a lot about. He wrote the book called The Sceptical Chemist in 1661. Yes, yes. microscope and all that. No, no. wrong. That was Hawke. <laughs> that was Hawke, wasn't it? Yeah. The microscope was a Dutch guy called, I can't Hulk. remember his name. Hulk, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, you got it. I beg your pardon. Who was a, uh, habit, he was a tailor, I think, and did it in his spare time. Mm. He's the one who discovered all the little microcosms in the water. Yeah, I do radio announcing in my spare time. <coughs> the Good. greater 3UZ. Here we go. Carry on. John. I'm going to talk about Jack Courier today and greyhound racing. Really? Yep. Okay. Silence. Eh? <laughs> We're taken aback. <laughs> well, great. Jack Courier, who was a... Um, uh, an artist, a Melbourne artist, a social realist and communist, was also a greyhound fancier. Right. Okay. And well, he told me a fabulous story about greyhound racing, which I'm going to impart. Uh, what about his art, though? Oh, I can't really bring it to mind. No. Isn't that okay. Social well, that, realism, you know. Backstreets of Fitzroy. Cripples, that yeah, kind of yeah. thing. Yeah, no, I can see exactly what it is. Well, in keeping with the greyhound theme, let's kick off the show with something a little dynamic and speedy, shall we? This is a, a blast from the past, Rebel Yell by our good friend, Billy Idol. Yeah. Yes, Billy Idol with the fantastic Steve Stevens in the background. Now, I, I just yep. tell you before you carry on, chaps, mm -hmm. with all this art business, mm -hmm. the music we're playing today is not from the A-list, it's from the B-list. The and Brendan List. The Brendan List. Okay. Station manager, Brendan Telfer. Carry on. Well, look, uh, the th sorry, the, th the, the big question with uh, Billy Idol and company is how long can these guys keep it up? Really? No, I'm, uh, <laughs> I mean, obviously they've got Viagra, but I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about, um, what is he doing now, Billy? Do well, you have I'm not idea? sure. Where no. are they now? He, he, he fell off a motorcycle and injured his head. So uh, that was before or, or after? During. During. <laughs> so we don't know at what point, you know, the, the song suddenly changed to, to unhits. Right. And this happened to um, Keith... Um, Keith... Uh, Richard. Richards. What? That was Coconut. Coconut. So I'll give you a statistic. Just uh, In 2014, 66 people were killed by sharks worldwide. Yes. And 122 people were killed by falling coconuts. 
So be careful of falling coconuts. Did you think that Mark had a look on his face then like he was making up numbers? No, I don't, John. I remember numbers very... I have a very Mm. photographic memory for numbers. But I could be making them up. You never know. (laughs) All right, we'll carry on. Jack Turek, Jack Courier. Mm. Uh, As I was saying before, he's a social realist painter and printmaker. And uh, he was a a colleague of painters like... um, Albert Tucker and um, oh, there's another guy. I just can't remember the, the other guy. But there's another guy amongst them. Brett Whiteley. No, <laughs> but uh, Jack was he was all right. Uh, but working class Communist Party member, uh, pretty pissed off about everything. And I met him one afternoon at Eastgate Gallery in Hawthorne. Turned out to be a bit of a raconteur. He told me that he was a greyhound fancier. He liked the dog racing. And he told me that he particularly liked the kind of women that went to Greyhound racetracks. And I thought about that and I thought, oh, the 1940s and 50s, what would they be like? Cheap sundress, red lipstick, cigarette, probably. Cheap handbag. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, that didn't sound unattractive, <laughs> as it turns out. <laughs> um, but he was very fond of that, and he told me that he was he was the uh, secretary of the Cranbourne Greyhound Racing Club, and uh, for a while, I have a losing position. Well, mm-hmm. there was one afternoon where uh, race two, perhaps Saturday afternoon or something, uh, they let the dogs go. And Did they, they use real rabbits in They those used days? real rabbits. He was very keen to tell me that. He was. What's fond- wrong with using real rabbits? I mean, the rabbits are a pest, aren't they? Well, Jack's attitude was, let's use the real rabbits because, uh, as far as he was concerned, every rabbit should be punished for being so numerous. All rabbits should be punished for being yes, numerous. Yes, but perhaps not cruelly. Nah. What difference does it make to them? They'll be dead, no? Eventually. <laughs> <laughs> but when they when they use real rabbits, John, mm. I, I, I haven't actually thought about this, Do they, they're on the... They're, they're, they're taped or they're glued onto the... A wire them on the end of the stick. The wire on the end of the stick. Apparently they used to spray paint the back half of them white so the dogs can get a good look at it. <laughs> did, they, did they also put a target on the back? <laughs> well, they used to run the stick a little bit lower than they do these days so that it looked like it was running along on the ground. Yeah, exactly. When, yeah. when in fact it was just struggling to get away. Mm. See, we're only a decade or two from the brutal blood sports of mm. bear baiting, cock fighting... Well, they still fight dogs, don't they? Still, well, they still eat dogs. Good mm. career. But dog. I used to uh, let the, the greyhounds... But what's the difference between a dog and a... Sorry, go on. I used to let the greyhounds tear rabbits to bits before they raced them, just to... Yeah, to know, blood them. Yeah, yes. get them going. This particular day, race two, uh, there were two dogs well out in front, about halfway around the track, and <coughs> someone had pulled some of the border fencing down to get in, and uh, these dogs noticed the gap in the fence and took a le- took a right-hand turn, and the rest of the crowd of dogs followed them, and they all ended up apparently in the paddock outside Cranbourne Racetrack, which was essentially made of rabbits. <laughs> and they were having a terrific a time A free-for-all. Yeah, a free-for-all out there amongst the rabbits. The uh, committee, Jack amongst them, uh, were asked the question, do we all get our money back? And the answer was, if you start a dog in a race and it fails to finish, you don't get your money back. The fact that none of them finished means that no one's going to get their money back. That money is all 
Straight into the coffers. Straight into the coffers of the uh, bookmakers as well as the racing club. And uh, Because, using an old adage, they're still running. Yes. There was some concern amongst the punters about this decision. And uh, one of the dog owners apparently eventually fetched his dog at about halfway through race five, he released it onto the track. <laughs> and won. And won. <laughs> Got it across the line. There's, there's always one smart ass, isn't there? <laughs> yeah. But I'm not sure. I asked Jack about what was the result of that win, and uh, he was unclear on that issue. So he really couldn't tell me about it. But Jack did all right as a dog fancier and painter. He had a big house in South Yarra for a communist. Can we talk a little bit about his art and whether the art bought the large house for a communist? Uh, or I think perhaps it, it was his art who bought the large house, yeah. But he was uh, he made a lot of reproductions, uh, like, well, actually not reproductions, he made artist prints, he made um, uh, etchings and silk scrolls. Of his own work or of other? Yeah. Of his own work. Yeah. <coughs> Never heard of him. No. But never you could look him up. There are lots of artists we've never heard of. There, that's very true. I, I once saw a very good show in London of um, all the famous artists from the 30s and 40s in, Lon in, in London who had been completely forgotten about. Right. And there was some really good work there as, as well as some So rubbish. they had the artists and images of their work? Or they had the paintings. Right. They're, they're, mostly, they're all dead, but they had right. the paintings. And it was a quite a large show in, um, I think it was in the, in the Royal Academy, right. of just um, these forgotten artists. Any women amongst them? Mate? There probably were, John. Mm. I didn't really notice. I mean, it sort of showed that you go through with little curiosity. Right. But people like Jack, I've, I'm, I'm sure, that, I mean, as you said, there were so many people painting those sort of in, inner city, Collingwood, Fitzroy, sort of dirty with kids running well, around. He, he was into... There were no cafes or hipsters in those days. No, and social realism was his thing. And he liked, well, it was big, wasn't it? He liked the back streets of Fitzroy where people were struggling and that's yeah. where he'd make his images. And he was kind of a skinny guy who smoked roll-up cigarettes. You sure he wasn't a corduroy communist? <laughs> he looked more like a dog fancier, frankly, than a corduroy communist. In, yeah. You call them corduroy communists here? I yeah? just made it up. Okay, because in France they're called gauche caviar, ah. which is caviar gauche, uh, yeah. left, left from, with caviar. They're wealthy and there's a lot of them. Yeah, cashed there are up, many. Cashed up bogans, we call them here. Yeah, well, it's not quite the same, but no, close. So is that it? The is dog racing bogan? Do you think? Oh, I think so. I, I, I was going to say, have you stopped rabbiting on, John? Oh. Well, <laughs> what's his name again? Jack Courier. Jack Courier. He may have been forgotten, but let's hope this person hasn't been forgotten. And now it's time for John. John I could do that live. Yeah, you could. And I was telling Sally that uh, I don't mind the idea of hearing that every morning, but I don't want to hear it live every morning's one. That would be strange. <laughs> but a recording of it as a wake-up call would be great. Good morning, John. How's that? <laughs> Make a nap. Yeah, I just I could run it easily on my telephone. Can I just remind everybody morning. that we're listening to music from the B list? Yeah, we've forsaken the A list, the Brendan list. Although yeah. I think um, that Lou Reed's hardly B list. Uh, no, mm. my favourite song at one stage. Right, when he was young and stupid. My grandfather, Mark. Yeah. Uh, what a coincidence! His no. grandfather was named <laughs> Mark as well. <laughs> Hugh, his name was. Oh, sure. Hugh Staveley. 
And uh, he was a very sort of snappy kind of dresser, uh, and uh, he'd like to... In fact, he... He, he, he was a tailor, no? you've spoken about him before. It's St Kilda Taylor, yes. yes. And uh, he used to wear a um, an opal in the collar of his shirt instead of a tie, uh, like an opal brooch. Mm. And he sported a kind of Colonel Sanders beard. Uh, but as a kid, he had polio, and... Um, one leg was four inches shorter than the other and finishing in a kind of club foot. That's a substantial amount. Mm. So he had calipers? No, he had a boot, but his boot, his foot, uh, which was like a fist, a foot as a fist, <coughs> uh, fitted into this boot that he'd had made. And, <laughs> and it was, the boot was this object of considerable fascination for me as a child. It Absolutely. Had... We used to see those chaps every now and again. Yes, we did. So I can see the boot as well. No, no front. Just a sort of, used to slip into it. Four inches uh, of heel on it yeah. and, and sole so that it matched the other leg. But he walked with a walking stick and a big boot and, uh, which gave him a particular gait, obviously. And, uh, not inelegant. In fact, he was capable of swinging the cane and uh, and getting along at a fairly decent rate, you know. But he made his money by making um, jitterbag, jitterbug jackets for American servicemen during the war in St Kilda. What an opportunist. Yes. Amazing. Because they'd come to Melbourne, they wanted to go dancing, and all they had was their uniforms. Well, well, uh, what's a jitterbug jacket? I knew you were going to ask. <laughs> But it's a jacket uh, that has, uh, according to my grandfather, that has a, uh, it's made like a normal jacket but has different coloured shoulders. So like a Western jacket, you know. Yeah, like Bill Haley used to wear. Yeah, yeah. 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 And uh, so they were very keen on those jackets and he made a lot of them and you could get them from him either off the rack or he'd make one for you. And they'd go dancing in them. Um, But he also made for himself... Uh, a couple of suits, about 42 of them, which uh, we were, which we inherited, my brothers and I, <laughs> and they all fit us perfectly except that one leg was four inches shorter than the other, of course. But wouldn't it be the same length? No, he liked to see. No, no, he liked to have that boot out and about. Right. Yeah, so you could see the full boot with one. And hand saved leg. on the on the material too. Yeah, never mind the quality, feel the width. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mark will run with it. But he, the schmudder. Amongst the many things he made, he made us a tent, a camping tent, <coughs> because he was a tailor and he thought he could stitch this thing together properly. And we took this tent to uh, Malakuta. Excuse me, was the tent a lovely pinstripe? Only on the roof. Right. The sides were plain canvas. Ah, or plain. Yeah. And it was a two-bedroom tent with lots of um, tent poles inside and beds and stuff yeah. at Malakuta. And it rained, and he'd used uh, not previously shrunken canvas to make this tent. And when it rained, <laughs> the thing started to shrink. <laughs> and during the night, we were asleep, and we could hear the tent poles kind of straining, and then a couple of them broke, and this thing literally screwed itself up into a ball with us inside, which we, of course, thought was hilarious. <laughs> of course, there's a lot of surface tension there, isn't there? Yeah, when, once it starts getting smaller. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that was absolutely... Well, Fascinating. Have a, did you have a question for John um, and Mark? Uh, my question was, is that it? <laughs> <laughs> now, 
I've got some music scheduled from the B list before we hear from please go, Mark go. Stewart. So please, everybody. What's this one? Well, <clears throat> this is from Brendan's B list, and mm. it's from a film called Oh Lucky Man, which you may or may not remember. Yes, with remember. Malcolm McDowell. Yes, I don't remember it. But this version is by Alan Price, who's certainly got chops, as we mm. know. Yeah, he's good. So let's have a listen, chaps. Yes, don't forget all those grass trees <laughs> with the frogs in the background. Bonk, 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 bonk. They Look, make a good pot plant, huh? You, you guys are telling so many ripping yarns and anecdotes that I might change the name of this show to Anecdote About. How's that? Sounds pretty good. Go right? ahead. Yeah. And Give before you carry on, I just need to send a special message to Sally in the middle of Bass Strait. Bad, bad security, mayday, mayday. All right, carry on, Mark. Is this your, what's your segment called? Does it have a name? Does it have branding? Yeah. Is there any profile? Yes, yes, no. We don't need. I'm, I'm so well known that it, he made it, any, any of that. Made an attempt at playing his own introductory piano That's music true, at one but, stage. But I had just broken up with my girlfriend, and I was very unhappy, so mm. it wasn't very good. We only heard it once. Yeah, no, we heard it twice. But I'm going to do a new one. Anyway, this is about Robert Boyle who was born in 17, 1627 and died in 1691, whose book, The Skeptical Chemist, published in 1661, marks the beginning of modern chemistry. Uh, with skepticism. You, with skepticism, yep. Mm. So before you all fall asleep, he also gave his name to boiling water. In uh, his book, he rejected the age-old notion of four or five elements. Now, what are the four or five elements? Well, there's air, mm. earth, mm. water, mm. fire, mm. and the fifth element is... Well, it depends who you're talking about. Oh. The Babylonians, they said wind, which is air in a oh, hurry. pardon me. Yes. yes. Fire, <laughs> earth, <laughs> sea, and sky. Okay, you right. can hear any of that. Greek, for the Greeks, it was air, water, fire, earth, and ether which yeah. you've probably got a lot of that in you too. Um, gas. Gas. Chinese, it was wood, water, earth, fire, and metal. And and no, no air. And the Japanese, air, water, earth, fire, and a void, which I think is very interesting. Well, that How would do be, you avoid a void? I would think void, there might be a little Buddhist influence there. Perhaps. Probably a little bit. I think this might have been before the Buddhist influence. And there. earth, wind and fire in Chicago. Yeah, oh, they were great. Yeah. They were great. Anyway, Robert said elements were certain primitive and simple or perfectly unmingled bodies which wouldn't, could not be converted into anything simpler. Okay? And were incapable of decomposition, adding by means of which we are now acquainted. This was in 1661, remember, as we can now decompose elements such as neutrons and protons. Although we still measure them by the same criteria. We do. <coughs> Samuel Peppers records that King Charles II, who himself dabbled in science... Excuse me. Yes? Could you pronounce that surname again? Which one? Peeps. Peppies. Peppies or Peppies? Peeps. Peeps. Peeps, you say, is it? Thank you. I'm um, very. Thank you for correcting me, Mr. Um, Mr. Know it all. Yeah, <laughs> Scotty, um, dabbled in science and had a private laboratory. He mightily laughed when told Boyle was spending time only in weighing air. As Robert was experimenting on the mass, volume, and pressure of gases, that became Boyle's law. Now, do you know Boyle's law? Well, I've heard of it, but so, I'm not sure that I could um, repeat the details. No, it's very simple. No, the head. volume of a mass of gas is inversely proportional to its pressure. Okay, oh. so that's how Well, that clears everything that up. That does, doesn't it? Yeah. Makes it? That's why we've got all this um, 
uh, gas flying around the country because it can be c compressed. So um, he also suffered from pain, painful passy sores on his lower back and legs, which exploded like volcanoes when pressured and became known as boils. Oh. Boiling water and boils are both named after the same fella. And boils were a very serious infectious risk once. They were. They were Jackie Gleason's mother died of an infected boil. Oh my God! Well, God, you know a thing or two. Be boiling water would be involved in the cure, one would think. Also, but you never know what to believe, um, and I wouldn't believe everything you've heard from me. So. Um, I'm going to move on to... So are we to discredit everything that you've just said in our... No, 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 no. I'm just... just uh, what I want you to do is just to question whether it's true or not. That boiling water was named after Mr. Boyle? The boils on his skin were named after Mr. Boyle? Well, there could be, possibly be, but I'm, I'm no. not sure, John. I'm not going to... Let, right. you know, I've just sort of made, made this... You made it up. Introduced you to it. I, I, had, a, I had an interesting point about your elements and... <clears throat> ancient beliefs. Mm. Now, uh, Lucretius, he was a st he was a Lucretius, student yep. of Epicurus, mm -hmm. and as you know, the Epicurean outlook is like very existential. That the moments in your life of goodness and friendship define your life, Absolutely. and that the gods aren't in charge of your no. destiny at all. And Lucretius went on to talk about a a, a state of being called ataraxia, which ataraxia, means, which is which is um, stoical indifference. No, yes. incorrect. Well, it is a sort of a stoic. It is a stoical in, in, indifference, but more it's freedom from fear. Also, but in, I think because you're, you're talking about Seneca. No, no, I know ataraxia. The word ataraxia is something I've, I've looked mm. up. And but don't mix Seneca. Don't mix the Epicurists with the. I'm uh, not. Um, with the. With the you what said was the word? Seneca. Seneca Sinesians. was. Um, he was also Roman. He was. He had to eat hemlock. That was in Nero's time. So where Epicurus was before Nero. That's pre Nero. Pre Nero. The end. <laughs> anyway. I would have said stoic indifference is yes. much the same as no. absence of fear. Sorry, that it, that that's it. See, he was a stoic, whereas Lucretius and um, Epicurus were Epicureans, slightly different. Yeah, but your that use of the word ataraxia, ataraxia which is ataraxia in, in English, yes. is. Uh, defined as stoical indifference, but the the um, Epicurus was. It is very true that people think of him as being an Epicurus, somebody oh, who no. loves eating and drinking. It's not true. It's, it was all about friendship and and talking. From my and stoic enjoyment, indifference to this conversation growing. Yeah. Yeah. Enjoyment of the moment and start at your own death and work backwards. The gods are not in charge. You will one day be a tiny speck of dust in the universe, and you should celebrate being excited by that. Absolutely. Well, Lucretius talked about atomic sway. Yes. Yeah, he was one of the first to say that there was more, there was you know, there was something even smaller that we couldn't see. Yes, and for those listeners expecting a, a, a more elaborate explanation of what we're talking about, I don't think they're going to get it. Do, maybe next week, you never know. Mm -hmm. But maybe we should talk about Australia Day as, as we're in Australia. Is that what we you're talk talking about? about? Well, not yet. But Are I'm you ripping to, into Australia Day? I'm going to go back to where I was beginning. So, here, I'm, I'm quoting a letter from the Australian which is um, The Weekend Australian, which is one of my favourite papers. And this is about what we call inv Invasion Day, mm -hmm. which I personally think is any white person should never use that word, basically. I think it's a, um, all hypocrites. Anyway, on Australia Day, I think of why my family is here. This is a letter from, from Des Heaney in Canberra. 
It was not any invasion on our part, rather involuntary in reality. The first to arrive was an Irishman from Ballymescalon, County Luth, transported in 1851. Mm. Poor bugger. In 1849, he was convicted of stealing clothes and sentenced to seven years of transportation. He ended up across the other side of the world against his will. He didn't invade Australia. On hot days like Friday, I'm sure his descendants would rather be in cool Luth. Even January the 26th, I think what our life, every January the 26th, I think what our life would have been like if he hadn't stolen those bloody clothes. Not all of us were invaders. Some were just involuntary, innocent victims of political decisions. If it wasn't the English, it's not as though no one else would have turned up. The French were not far behind, were they? In part, whether it's January 26 or not, it's not that important. We're all here anyway, and no one seems to want to leave. Although I have a list of politicians I wish would bugger off back to where their ancestors came from. That's Des. Do you know, Mark, that uh, on the in the First Fleet there was a uh, fellow who got on the ship in England coming out here as a convict, and uh, he disappeared en route, but uh, another ship caught a shark, and uh, they dragged the shark on board, and they opened her up, and inside was a prayer book with this man's name on it, and uh, he'd gotten on the ship in England, but was nowhere to be seen when they got to Botany Bay. His name wasn't Jonah. No. Got the wrong animal. But they, <laughs> they did have his prayer book from within the shark. Lovely. Mm. On, on the subject of primacy, mm -hmm. the whites came and they took over. Mm. Invasion and uh, subjugation is a fact of life. Mm. What, what I think the elementary philosophical mistake is that it shouldn't be justified as right. There's no right and wrong. It's just the course of nature, isn't it? Mm. People, other people take over other people and subjugate Every them. single country in the world yeah. has happened. And I think people get morally confused. Yes. Although I think that on that particular day that uh, Indigenous Australians have a right to complain about... Yeah, the sky fell in about what had happened on that day, so it yeah. can be a day of complaint. This is, this is why my next letter is from, from someone else, Neville Clark in Tasmania. The nation known as Australia was founded on January the 1st, 1901. There was no nation before that, whether indigenous or settler. Think of the advantages of celebrating on that day and the symbolism of a new day, a new year and a new century for a new nation. That is the only good reason for changing the date. I think it's not a bad point. Sorry. Federation. Yeah, what would Federation. That, what would that date be? <clears throat> January the 1st. That's when we start, that was federation. Right. When the country yeah. became together. I mean, you think, look at Italy. How it was, wasn't all Germany. They were, no, they were not countries until late in the 18th century. Very, Bismarck, very recently. Very, very, yeah. and Garibaldi. You gotta think about the public holidays though and whether or not you're gonna spread them out appropriately. Well, that's what happened, sorry, that's what happened in France before they brought in the, um, school holidays in 1936, so public holidays, people had all the Saints days. And so May, the whole month of May in Italy and France, no one's open. There's all got all these saints days right. and all these bloody Catholic celebrations, and so there's no work done. What if you're not Catholic? Well, you just take the take a holiday too, or you, I don't know, you go to Germany or something. Right. So hey. that's it. Now, um, do we have time to talk about the Gillette ad and toxic masculinity? We absolutely <coughs> do have time to talk about toxic masculinity, and I'll be leaving the room during this discussion. <laughs> Well, look, I, um, 
just um, I haven't seen the ad, but I've read a lot about it, mm-hmm. and uh, I, I've uh, have read in the business section of the Australian about Gillette losing um, customers, as is Apple, not for the same reason. It but backfired somewhat. I'm sure that ad did back, but I'm sure they've done it. Uh, one of the reasons I'm, I think they've done it is to try to get some sort of attention from people, and whether it's bad or good, it's you know, any any attention is good as far as they're concerned. Mm. But that they should go to this extent, uh, I find just outrageous. That they're you know, this whole sort of is but there more? Are we more toxic or less toxic than what we were before? And or? there is to consider the fine line between obsequiousness mm. and uh, virtue signalling. Mm. 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 But <laughs> I have met a um, a woman who a writer who is thinking about writing a book about uh, an article on toxic femininity. Oh, yeah. So um, well, that'll go down like a cup of cold soup, <laughs> won't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, look, I've, I, it is It'd interesting. Be a big book, though. Certain women, for example, I don't know if you've realised at the university they're doing things like gender studies and women's studies, and I know a few women who f- f- take this as an insult that they're actually having to define a study. Is there such a thing as men's studies? No. No. So they they think that women's studies is actually a little bit of a... Um, yeah, there is such a thing, though, as human toxicity. Yeah. I take the whole thing with a grain of salt because it's kind of their turn, I guess, to sort of push people around. Uh, it doesn't... Uh, I don't look. I must admit, I don't have any sort of moral investment. I don't. I'm not interested. No, I'm. I find it a, as you say. It's. it's mm. a, it'll change very quickly. Mm. But it's. It's true that in where it's. It, it is. Um, uh, you know, we're we're a part of that white privileged male toxic masculinity, if we like. Speak for yourself. Yes, I will. And the, and you know, the sort of jokes that we used to say, tape, talk talk, you know, the things we used to say in the sixties and seventies, you, you couldn't say them now. It's impossible. And perhaps it's right. Was mm. you know, like spastic or blue bus, and you remember all the. Mm, you know, sure do. There's quite a list there. We have mm. of all these things, and there and there we can't do it. So no. perhaps there are other things we're not aware of that um, yeah. we have to be made aware of. Again, human nature. <laughs> shouldn't be then imposed on given a moral uh, credence either yes or, or right or wrong I think you know like a child will say the blue bus but um, you really shouldn't but um, so what you're saying we don't we should let these things pass we don't have to actually define them as being right or wrong no, I think if you aware of them you should not not use them mm. as mm. Jermaine Greer said it's a shame our moral superiors are the permanently offended <laughs> That's right. Mm. That's a beautiful little circle. Look, why don't we... I'm going to try and pick something up from the uh, B list. Okay. Just to see how we go. I have no idea what this song is. It's from the Brendan Telfer hit list. Could be anything. 1983. The Monkeys? Uh, oh, that's, no. How about Advanced Australia Fair? Can we hear that? No, this is called Drop the Needle. Ooh. Now here is the news. Well, normally that would be the case, but I'd like to talk to Mark, if I may, about Julian Opke, who I went and saw at the NGV uh, the other day. And um, Mr Opie has sort of offered us neon signs that are put together. Some of them are put together like you would, you would expect to see a neon sign on the outside of a building and digital advertising screens with a kind of uh, art form on them. Personally, I found the whole thing kind of stupid and uh, not really engaging at all. 
in fact, uh, more gimmicky than one might hope for in a, um, in a position like that, in the situation that it's in. And the only stuff that I really enjoyed was um, the, the neon fish swimming up the water in the, on the wall outside the gallery. <clears throat> the rest of it I didn't like at all. Look, I found some of the portraits um, relatively interesting, the way they blinked and so, you know, the, the use... It's, yeah, it's a gimmick. Uh, yeah, it's a, the whole thing is a gimmick and the, mm. the, the perpetual landscape of the road disappearing yeah. into the distance, which reminded me of 70s I, perspective stuff. I looked at that and I thought, oh, I can see why Mark would enjoy that yeah. because it reminds him of him riding his motorbike exactly. through the yeah. or Also that. that sort of infinite perspective that they managed to get. And some of the boats, you know, the night side, there was no, a few... But look... The terrible thing is that you, pro you obviously didn't go into the kids section because there's a kids no, section with Julian Opium, yeah. and he shows how you do it, and it's so simple. It's so simple that you just think, "My God, I can't believe that he even, he's even you're revealing his secrets about how he's made this work." So not even a spectacle of skill. No, no, it's r really very, very simple and very mechanical, yeah. and, and the, I mean, those walking ones outside are just tedious. Yeah, I think it's tedious is a good word. Yeah, um, Chris, my good friend Christopher Allen uh, went mm -hmm. to and and um, wrote about it in last weekend's Weekend oh, Australian. Yeah. And he damned it. Right. He said it's just absolute rubbish. It's more of sort of, it's like frocks, you know, it's just sort of bringing in different people. It's all about the visitations. Right. It's got nothing to do with the art itself. Right. But, you know, Julian Opie is a perfect example of what's, what galleries want. It's something which is bringing in you know, kids and uh, you know, different, different uh, demographic. It's a show. It's a show, and it's uh, probably successful in that sense. Meanwhile, the skyscrapers in the foyer I quite like. No, I thought they were claustrophobic, and I, w I felt like blowing them up. Mm. So I it took up all the space. I blowing them up. I don't have a terrorist in me, but no. uh, I did quite like them, particularly from the escalator. And um, Polly Borland over the road at Bed Square... Uh, Polly makes photographs of um, women in compromised kind of costuming uh, with stockings sort of stretched over them and rubber bands and string yeah, pulling horrible. them out of shape. Horrible. Uh, those photographs are confronting and difficult, um, but the resulting laser prints out in the back room, which are bits of those photographs blown up and printed onto fabric of some sort, I thought were beautiful, almost Sort of bordering on the sublime, actually. Jesus. Right. Okay. Well, no, that wasn't my experience at all. I thought they were the whole thing was. Um, but look, maybe I should go back, John. I, I, mm. Often, when I go back for a second time, I have a different view. So I might try that after your mm. mentioning of the word I sublime. Would I would recommend it to anyone. Okay. How about McClelland? Have you been there recently? No. No, neither have I. Does it, we should go. Perhaps. Yes. Let's go now. <laughs> okay. Off we go. <laughs> Is that it? You've got the wrong song. That's. Don't you have something very special to read there, John? No. We've still got the typewriter song, which is a very good song. It's lovely. Um, I do have a document. Well, really, that document's going to have to wait till next week because we're all out of time. Thank you, chaps. That was anecdote about. And. Uh, Thank we'll you, Scotty. It. I'm looking forward to looking at it again, doing it again.